The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. Have we been talking too much about winning time, the uh, dramatization of the early days of the Los Angeles Lakers Showtime Dynasty over on HBO? Maybe, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do it again today. Ian Castleberry will join me a little bit later on. We will talk about Jerry West's complaints about the show and how uh, disputes about its accuracy sort of got their profile raised this week. And then Peter Schwartz will join me to talk about Chris Carlin joining the national lineup of ESPN Radio in exactly What is at stake here both for him and for the network? That is all coming up. But first, I I love what Amazon is doing. I love the approach Amazon is taking to Thursday night football. It is almost like you are watching in real time. No idea is a bad idea. Play itself out. We had heard before Kirk Herbstreet agreed to terms to be the analyst on the broadcast that Amazon had kicked around the idea of maybe Pat McAfee is that guy. Well, this week news comes out that they are not done with Pat McAfee. Just maybe the Pat McAfee show could become a part of the daily studio lineup at Amazon. That is a possibility. McAfee having a role on Thursday Night Football, whether that is in the studio, in the booth, or on the sidelines, that is a possibility. To me, this plays right in line with bringing Marshawn Lynch in as part of a studio crew. Look, this is a different presentation for NFL football. It should look, it should sound different. Does that mean more fun? It doesn't necessarily have to, but I, for one, really like that that is the direction that the NFL is allowing Amazon to go here. Whether you like his show or not, whether you are familiar with what goes on on the Pat McAfee show or not, all it takes is watching just a minute of the guy to see the energy, see what a dynamo he is, Will that blend in the booth with Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels? Well, I don't know. I know he and Herbstreet like each other very much. I do have my questions of how it would work with Al Michaels, but I love that Amazon is building a broadcast here with the philosophy of why not and not why should we do this. Have you been enjoying Winning Time on HBO? I will tell you that I certainly have. I think uh, there are some wonderful performances, and it is a show that is a lot of fun. Of course, I am not associated with the Los Angeles Lakers in any way. Their opinion is very different from my own. Ian Castleberry, who writes uh, columns for us every Tuesday, you've been watching the show as well. What has been your feeling on Winning Time? I've really been enjoying it. Uh, It is over the top, uh, but it is really fun to see that era of NBA basketball, uh, of the Los Angeles Lakers, and to see a lot of of the personalities behind that team, some of which... Um, I don't think are that well known. Now, a lot of people this week, we had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Jerry West filed a formal complaint, uh, demanded a retraction, an apology from Adam McKay. A lot of people associated with the Lakers have not been happy about this at all. Ben Maller on Fox Sports Radio had, I'll call it an interesting take. I think it is crazy wrong that Jerry West is only adding publicity to this show. I would argue right now, In the world, in any world, if I ask you who has better name recognition, Jerry West or HBO, it is a no contest, right? I think it does add 
publicity to the show, though. I do agree with that, but I agree with you. HBO certainly has more name brand recognition uh, in the culture, but, but I have to say, I'm not surprised at all that Jerry West is taking issue with this. I, I, I may be a little surprised uh, that he's going the legal route here or appears yeah. to be, but I mean, from the start, I think from the very first episode, I think there was a consensus that like, wow, uh, I didn't know Jerry West was like that. If that was the perception or wow, Jerry West is not going to like how he's portrayed in this series. So that has been one of the interesting things, because you mentioned the consensus. I mean, Ramona Shelburne of ESPN has said that it made her uncomfortable. Travis Rogers of ESPN LA said that uh, they were not, uh, oh man, I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but it was something to the effect of that's not Jerry West, that's a cartoon character. I mean, is it possible for a work of fiction, even if it is historically based, even if it is factually based, like this is a narrative show, is, I sometimes wonder, is it possible to have done a real person wrong with a show that does not claim to be a documentary in the first place? Um, that's a good point. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think to tell a warts and all story, uh, we're probably, we're going to get a good example of that, right? Uh, this coming weekend when the, uh, they call me magic documentary comes out and that is, you know, an authorized, your know, magic was involved in the making of it. And, and I don't think you can tell, I know putting slapping unauthorized on a biography or something like that, you know, makes it seem salacious and scandalous, but I think you do have to have some distance and maybe not have the direct involvement of the people who are being profiled to tell the true story here. Yeah, I would agree with you completely. I mean, I see something like they call me magic. I look at man in the arena with Tom Brady, even to a certain extent, I look at the last dance and I, I posted this on Twitter earlier this week. None of these things, none of them are allowed to be good. And that's fine. Like fun should be the bar for these things. But I also think that it is foolish by the subjects to think that they have created some sort of piece of art with these authorized 10-part documentary series. I mean, who on earth gives a damn about a 10-part Derek Jeter series unless it is all about his breakup with Mariah Carey? Right. <laughs> they have to talk about the women, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and I know a lot of people are going to want to see that. And I think that the winning time is sort of satisfying that as well with magic, because, you know, it's part of his history that he, right. he was, he was promiscuous and, and that's what uh, got him, uh, you know, that, that's how he contracted HIV. And I think, are they going over the top with it? Maybe. Uh, but I'm curious, I, I want to ask you, do you think, is it insulting to people or do you think it's right on to say, oh, people are going to watch this and say, oh, that is the real story because it's there on TV. It's being dramatized or whatever so that must be what really happened how do you see that uh you know i i guess it depends on what your relationship to the story is right like if you grew up in a time where you remember uh showtime the the book by jeff perlman that this is based on it does feel a little more honest at the same time like you know it's it's just kind of hard for me to picture and granted everybody has a different relationship with every story but it's hard for me to picture somebody that doesn't know or like NBA basketball, A, watching this show, or B, watching the last episode where a literal cartoon leprechaun is dancing across the street <laughs> at times and feeling like, ah, this is obviously a historical record of the Lakers rise in the 1979-1980 season. 
Yeah, I think people are going to watch that and say, I knew it. I knew that's what it was like. I knew those fans were that way. Again, we're talking over the top. The way it was cut, you had all the different angles and like the, the close-up on Johnny Most to make him look like this demonic <laughs> figure. Uh, I mean, it was like uh, it was like watching uh, – did you see Natural Born Killer? Yes. With Oliver St- by Oliver Stone. It, it reminded me of that, just like these bizarre cuts and, and, and weird angles and, and over-the-top depictions that again it's hard to take it seriously think it's it's just it's a it's an exaggeration at the very least yeah like i i guess it is a lot easier to say obviously this is an exaggeration when you are dealing with a period of history um that is something like um something like deadwood right all of those were real people that those uh those actors were playing but there's not a a there's not a real exhaustive historical record of newspaper clippings night after night after night and b there's nobody alive with the personal memories that uh that could tell you it was uh it was either any other way or object to what was being put on screen i mean you know the the characters of deadwood it's hard to even remember that those were real people at times yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, do, do you think the series would have, or the producers would have just saved themselves a lot of trouble if they had a disclaimer at the beginning? This is based on a true story. Events have been fictionalized. Uh, did you or, watch uh, Did you watch Inventing Anna on Netflix by any chance? No, I didn't. So there is a, there is a disclaimer at the beginning that I think this show could have benefited from, uh, which read something to the effect of, uh, this is a true story. All of the following events actually happened, except for the ones that are total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> There's another show on HBO, uh, Tokyo Vice, uh, HBO Max, which they they have a disclaimer that say, you know, events here uh, have been fictionalized. Uh, it is based on a true story, but but that's that's uh, during the credits. It's at the end. So again, somebody watching that would think, oh man, the Yakuza, you know, they're really cutting people's fingers off and right. And things like, um, yeah, but I, I do think that winning time could have benefited with it by a disclaimer um, at the very beginning and at least just kind of eased off uh, any expectation that this was real. So you have probably seen how much we have added to the site lately. Peter Schwartz is one of our new columnists. Uh, we are always happy whenever somebody gets a new nationally syndicated show, particularly when it is their first uh, of that sort. But when it is our buddy Chris Carlin, we are a little bit extra happy. Peter, you sat down with Chris to talk about not only his career to this point, but what he has in store coming up next week. I guess by the time a lot of people are hearing this, Monday will be when Canty and Carlin debuts on ESPN Radio. I do want to talk about this from ESPN Radio's perspective, but from Chris's perspective, just tell me a little bit about his excitement and that sort of gratefulness that came through in your piece about getting this opportunity. Yeah, you know, the one thing about Chris, and I've known Chris for a long time, and we've been friends for a very, very long time. We've worked together um, at different times also, and he's just, you know, you love to see good things happen to good people. And when it comes to Chris, I'm really happy for him that he's getting this opportunity. When I spoke to him, it was very hard for him to contain his enthusiasm. He is so (laughs) excited uh, to have this opportunity And really more so what came out in the interview with him was his excitement level of working with Chris Canty because they've done some things together locally at ESPN in New York, and they've had some auditions on the network level. But Chris, more so than anything else with regards to himself, his past, um, his opportunity is getting the chance to work with Chris Canty because he really thinks that the chemistry they have between the two of them is something special, and it's going to come out on this national platform. 
So I'm always wary of this. I was very wary when ESPN put uh, um, Barton Hahn on the national platform. I mean, I think it's a little bit different with Chris and Chris because they have not been working together on ESPN New York. But like, I mean, I'm a Southerner, man. I, I live in North Carolina. I grew up down in Alabama. I, I do wonder as the ESPN New York brand takes over more and more of the ESPN radio national platform, what sort of efforts are being made to make sure that these shows are relatable and are important to people outside of uh, the Big Apple? Yeah, that's a very important aspect. And, you know, and, I, and I've seen it from a couple of different avenues because I used to work at ESPN Radio locally so some years ago, and, and then and you know conversely, obviously did some some reporting work and you know for, for the networks. So there is that concern that if you put too many New York centric people on a national stage, it might be a turnoff to the audience. And I'm going through. You know, I, I've experienced the same thing where I am now working for WFAN in New York and also for CBS Sports Radio, there is that concern that you can be a little too New York-centric. But I would tell people around the country is, I wouldn't worry about it with Chris Carlin and Chris Canty. Chris Canty is uh, as knowledgeable as they come when it comes to football at all levels. So I don't think you'll see that New York giant come out of him <laughs> too much. I think you'll hear, I think you'll hear the on-air personality that he is uh, with the football and general sports knowledge that he has. And I can certainly vouch for, for Chris Carlin's knowledge of national sports because I've heard him and I've seen him do that before. In fact, as I pointed it out to him in our interview and, I, and as I wrote in the piece, college football is such an important part of a national network, whether it's ESPN radio or CBS sports radio, whatever it might be. And Chris Carlin has been the radio voice of Rutgers football for a long time. I think it's going on, you know, he's been part of the broadcast for 20 years. And I think the number I had in the store, I think it was 17 years as their play-by-play -play announcer. And now they're, you know, they're in the big 10. Yeah. So he has, he has been around the block when it comes to college football. He's a big college football fan. His wife is from the West coast and they watch a lot of pack 12 games late at night together. So um, if I'm a national or a national listener, I would not be worried at all when it comes to Chris Carlin and Chris Canty because I think they're going to hit a home run with this. With uh, with Chris's job with Rutgers, like I man, is there anybody else that he's seen more of the Big Ten second string than the guy that calls Rutgers football game? <laughs> <laughs> that is, you know, I didn't even I didn't think about that. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, uh, over the summer, this past summer, when uh, at, at WFAN, we have a new program director who's yep. who's great, Spike Eskin. And um, and I had a conversation with Spike and also uh, Dave Mayernick, um, who, who, who runs the, the two networks as well, helps Spike. Um, and there was an opportunity for me to, to get some some fill in hosting opportunities. And, and this very subject came up about like national scope. And, you know, I, you know, we, 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 we already got, you know, a number of people on the air that are their FAN guys that are on, that are on the network. Yeah. And I said, and I said, believe me, I want to be on FAN because I want to talk about the Mets and Yankees starting rotations. I don't want to talk about the third string tight end at Texas A&M, but, <laughs> but, but Chris, is the perfect person to do that because he follows it and knows it. Peter Schwartz would not be a good person to talk <laughs> about the third string tight end at Texas A&M. He wants to talk about who's starting for the Yankees tonight, who the Islanders are going to get in the offseason, and who the Jets are going to take with the fourth pick in the draft.
<laughs> All right, let's wrap up here because in addition to Chris coming in, which is really exciting for Chris, from the ESPN perspective, here is another change in the in the daytime lineup of a network that used to be the model of consistency. Has the pressure to get this right? Does it seem to be seeping in at all with Chris? Is it something that he says he's been spoken to about? Yeah, I didn't have that conversation with Chris. Um, I could agree with your point. This has been, especially over the last few years, we've seen so many changes in the business. I don't even think it's just ESPN. Oh, sure. But we've seen other aspects of our business where, and listen, I, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, uh, I know Chris Canty a little bit. I know Chris Carlin a lot. I know Chris is very enthusiastic. He's very well prepared. He's very knowledgeable. And if there was ever a perfect person for a job like this, it's him. And I'm really glad that he got it. A big thank you to both Ian and Peter for joining me this week. Always appreciate when our guys take time out to uh, stop by and join me here on an episode of Media Noise. As for what we are looking forward to next week, uh, the ratings information is coming out from the winter, so we will be looking more and more at big markets, major markets, maybe even some major victories in mid-markets as those numbers come our way. We will certainly dive into that next week. Talk to you then. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review and check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.